podcast with me natasha i have a very 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 special guest that is joining us today and i'm going to do that annoying thing where i say to the guest please tell us about yourself please introduce yourself but just just a little bit um this is someone that i consider my young sister someone that i consider my friend um and you know i'm really honored that they're on the podcast uh, but in addition to that she's someone who's really inspirational who's doing great things in her field um in stem um i first kind of knew her and came across her as um harvard bay because we're going we're going to delve into that a little bit uh because i always thought to myself ha hmm there's a reason why god didn't take me to harvard because if it were me, every listen every, before you met me up like hi i'm natasha i went to harvard <laughs> but, <laughs> but god knew what he was doing because hey but anyway, so I have got the lovely Will Moyo joining us uh, for this episode just to talk about her journey um, and to talk about the work that she's doing, which I think is so fascinating. Um, so yeah, hi Will. And yeah, do you want to introduce yourself and fill in the gaps? Sure. Hi everyone. Thank you so much, Nat and Goli for having me on the podcast. Um, so my name is Will Moyo. I am a lady from Bulawayo, well, Bulawayo Nyamandlong-ish in, in Zimbabwe. Um, I've grown up in Zimbabwe um, and I went to the States for my university um, education. I am big in Sky's um, fan. It's like always feels like listening to my sisters and I talk. Um, I love, you know, it has a diaspora feel, something I relate to. Um, and yeah, I've been working in, in the STEM field for like the past six, six, seven years now. I'm sort of working in different like robotics, uh, research. Now I work in Malawi, um, training students um, and implementing investment education in their institutions of higher learning. Yep, that's me. <laughs> Ah, that's that that that's really 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 good. Um, so so that's a lot there. So I kind of wanted to do the the the, you know, probably I was gonna say cliche, but then I was like, actually, I don't think I've ever sort of like heard about your proper journey, um, sort of like going to Harvard, right? And I, and I want to talk about that because obviously Harvard is a prescription is the prestigious school in the world. Um, Obama went to Harvard, you know, all the world leaders go to Harvard and it is just, um, yeah, like, I mean, it's, it takes a lot for you to be able to, to get into those schools. So what I'm interested in is, let's kind of take you back to when you were in Zim in, I'm assuming um, you, you did your A-levels in Zim, right? yeah mm -hmm. okay so yeah so i did all my education in zimbabwe i went to the best school in zimbabwe um dominican convent high school in Hulawayo. i went there all my life um just like i feel like if you especially if you have um a young a young girl child um i hate that term by the way but you know let's just use it for today but just it's just a wonderful institution to grow young women without 
the pressures of society. It sort of creates this bubble, this environment that that shows you that women can be absolutely anything they want to uh, they want to be. Um, and like my time at the Dominican convent was literally I felt at home before I went um, to convent. My, my oldest sister also went to the convent. So I was very comfortable. Um, I knew the system. I knew the lay of the land. You know, I felt at home. I felt very comfortable. Um, I felt very accepted, very welcomed. And for a very long time, we only had female teachers. Maybe I started having male teachers um, third form going up, but all like from primary school up to like third or fourth form. It was only um, female teachers. And it was just like these exemplary women who were just badass mathematicians, scientists, you know, social scientists, just like living their lives, doing well. Um, and at the time I didn't really take it to be inspiration, you know, but now that I look back at it and I compare my experiences with, um, my cousins and my friends who have gone to co-ed schools, I realized that um, I didn't have, you know, like the the indoctrination of, you know, boys, some things are only meant to be done by boys or some things, you know, only women do this. Like if it had to be done at school, you know, all of us had to do it. Like even things we weren't great at. Um, I am not an athletic person, but, you know, it was compulsory for everyone to do an hour of sports every week. Um, so, you know, you had to do it um, just like I really love the Dominican convent, man. I could speak about it for for eternity. I did debates there. I did Toastmasters. Um, I did a cappella there. You know, I just did everything. If I if I could do it, I did it. Um, I was just like a champion for my friends who were playing basketball. I would go and watch their games. You know, like I just had I just had the most wonderful experience at school. You know, I felt at home at school. I would be one of those kids who would be waking up like waking my parents up to be like yo time for me to go to school like the first day of school was something that's always been exciting um and like I've been a good student all my life but it's in part because my mother is a teacher um and so she's always like we've always read at home um we've always been studying but because I have so many older siblings as well um I have always been studying ahead. I don't know if that makes sense. Like I would be reading my 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 sisters or my brothers like books and their work. Um, so that was for me. That was just like a wonderful. Like my primary through high school experience was just wonderful. And it wasn't until I think um, fifth and sixth form that I realized that well, I'm actually really smart. And I think it's because that's when my mom realized it. Like whoa, you know, like. Um, Will is kind of smart like and then she started to push me and ask me about like what mark did you get for school but prior to that like my parents didn't care all they did was like pay school fees and all of that and then in the fifth form as well um, I got the Joshua Ngomo scholarship from um, the Higher Life Foundation so they paid for my high school my fifth and sixth form tuition so I was like whoa you know like and then I started going to like their boot camps um and learning just about, you know, like the work they do. And then I, um, during the sixth form, I, I also got another scholarship. It's called the United States Student Achievers Program, we call it USAP for short. And what this program does is basically um, prepare you to apply 
for universities in the US. Um, it is led by Rebecca Mano, who is just like wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person. And now she leads Education Matters um, and the USAP school as well. Um, just a little bit outside of that area where they just um, support students who are sort of exceptional, brilliant, more smart, um, and help them prepare. They take them through fifth and sixth form now in the actual school, um, and then also now help them prepare um, to apply to universities around the world, but especially the US. So I was accepted into that program. Um, and they really, honestly, they prepared me for the SATs, helped me write my, my personal statements, all the essay questions, helped me prepare for my, for my Harvard interview. And um, it's a really long process, but I was really lucky that I applied for, for Harvard um, early decision. So you get to know, I think by, by January or something like that, I knew I was going to Harvard and I didn't need to apply elsewhere. But like applications to US schools, especially if you haven't grown up in the US system, is a very long and tedious pro, um, uh, process. But for me, USAP was just like um, the all the difference. Um, it just, it kept me going. Even at times I was like, you know what, let me just focus on my A-levels and not on these applications. They were always checking in, calling in, and we'd, you know, I'd go to the American corner. Um, at that time, the American corner was at the Wulawayo Public Library. So I'll go there all the time, work on my essays, get internet access, you know, learn a bit more about the process. And we were a class of, of about 20, 25 people. Um, so yeah, I really love USAP. I love the work that Education Matters is doing in Zimbabwe it's just giving access to education to so many different types of people um, and their work is so important and you know I really appreciate them for, for everything that they have done for me yeah that's amazing Will that is so amazing first of all I want to kind of go back a little bit because you're probably the first person I've heard giving such a glowing review of their school, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, it is amazing. So, um, so, so with, 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 with Convent, I mean, you, you have, listen, Convent people should just take a clip of this. <laughs> um, but do you kind of see yourself being involved with any, I don't know if they've got alumni uh, associations or um, sort of like giving back to convent or being involved in some way, being a trustee. I mean, I don't know whatever structures they have. Um, is that something that you would like to do? Oh, absolutely not. Um, I would say, I should just say that um, I know some of my friends had a very different experience of school than I did. Um, so there's that. I think for me, it was because I was a very good student, teachers tend to treat you um, differently. Um, I was also the head girl. So you can imagine that, you know, I, I, like I, I felt like I owned the school or like that I, I particularly belonged. And I'd been there for like since grade one. So all my friends, most of the people, you know, who were there had also been there since grade one. And we had a few additions. Um, during first form, um, I, I absolutely love the Dominican convent um, in Bulawayo. And that's not to say there aren't some things that they did wrong. Um, it's just to say that for me, it really nurtured me. It was a safe environment for me. It, it made me feel valued. It made me feel like 
I had something to offer in the world. Um, I was always challenged. There were always opportunities um, like to travel. You know, I always used to travel with the debate team. I was the third speaker um, and like the school supported us. And you know, like you go on these debate tournaments, you win, then they call you up at assembly. I just felt so important. Like, and that from that's, I think as I've grown up, like affirmations for me are just something that are really important. And that's how I felt at the Dominican convent. Um, we don't have an alumni association. We just have a, a Facebook group, but I've honestly been thinking about um, starting a scholarship fund for students who might fall upon hard times that their parents can't afford um, to send them to the school anymore um, and just seeing them through because it's something that happened a lot during my time, especially as the Zimbabwean economy was, was changing. Um, so many of my friends left the school because their parents could no longer afford. And I, I really want to bring myself and, um, a group of friends and sort of other alumni to start a fund that can support students um, whose parents have fallen on hard times to continue with their um, their high school um, education. Um, it's something I'm definitely looking to um, looking um, looking into. Um, I think I'm, I'm also now at the stage in my life where I'm really starting to make my own money. So it's something I'm in a space where I can think about that, and I'm really um, grateful for that. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So, um, no, I really hope that that will be a thing, that that will happen, um, because I think the, the the interest and enthusiasm that you have shouldn't be shouldn't go to waste, you know, yep. and, um, hopefully. Yeah, please do do that. And let us know if there's any way that we can help you, because I, I, I think, yeah, they should have you on board as like a <laughs> advisor or something. Right. OK, so. You were in this uh, in convent, um, all going well, and then you go to um, sort of sixth form. And the reason I kind of just want to break it down is I'm mindful that there may be uh, parents who are listening or like young people who are listening, right, who are also kind of thinking, oh, you know, how do I go to Harvard or not even Harvard necessarily, like how do I unlock those opportunities and maybe go to good schools so you talked about the is it higher life um yes so it's the econet higher life foundation okay. that um gives us a number of scholarships in each province for for like the best performing o-level students in that province they'll give you like a scholarship to um and they'll pay for like your fifth form and your sixth form and all your examination fees okay. um you just have to apply um through higher life High Life Foundation, and it's called the Joshua Mkabogongomo Scholarship. Okay, so because that was going to be my question about is is that information easily accessible? Like, how did you find out about it? Did did was it? I found out about it because they put an an advert in the newspaper. Um, they usually do let to let you that like um applications for the Joshua Joshua Mkabogongomo Scholarship are open. And then you apply and then they'll choose like the best performing O-level students from each province. I think they have a certain number that choose um, from each province. Yeah. Mm, okay. Okay. So, so you, so you get that, which I'm pretty sure like your mom, like was, I, 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 I can only imagine being a parent and then your child gets the scholarship. You're like, Oh, you know, like one less expense. <laughs> 
I'm sure she was proud and, and relieved as well, right? Yeah, I it also came at a time when we as a family were going through some like um, financial difficulties. So it was it was just like a welcome a welcome relief for myself and for my mom as well. Um, that's when my mom was like, whoa, Will, you're, you're, you're smart. Like, my, my parents have always been like, do whatever you want with your life. It's your life. They've, they've never been parents who are on top of you, like asking, have you done your homework? Have you, you know, like how school, like my parents really came like they never actually came to teacher parent conferences. I would always ask like my mom's younger sister um, to come or my older siblings. Um, so like they've never really been pushy parents, but then like when I started like getting scholarships and like debate boards, my mom was like, huh, interesting. <laughs> I didn't know this about you. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, so so now you have the scholarship. So the 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 program that you talked about, the US um what what is it called by the way? You mentioned it's called USAP. Yeah. USAP. So is it is that is the is it the high life people that link you with that program? No, so there's also a separate application for USAP. They put up calls um, um, on social media, sort of like relying on people's social networks um, to say, hey, um, we are USAP, the United States United States Student Achievers Program. And by that time when I was applying, it was run through, my mother was still at the US Embassy. So it was run through the, the US Embassy. So they put out um, calls through their various networks that you have to um, apply for that as well um, in your fifth form. Um, and it's a, it's a number of essays and you send in your O-level results as well. And then from that, they will um, select a number of students they want um, and then you go through this process where they are assisting you with your um, application process. And now the program um, is still run by uh, MyMano, um, but through um, an organization called Education Matters, which runs, um, so it runs USAP and also what they call the USAP school, which is a school for um, uh, exceptional uh, a-level students, so Form 5 and Form 6. Uh, and they sort of like take students through that pipeline. And there's also an application to be a part of that school. Um, I will say there's like all these different opportunities in Zimbabwe. Um, there's what I know as the Star Academy, which also takes in some like brilliant students, um, the USAP school. And then there's also an organization called Macomborero, where they are sort of working with um, um, exceptional um, low income students who come from low income households as well. So like there's so many different um, pathways to take. Yeah, that's that's re that's really good. Um, what I will ask Will is. Um, sort of like after this, if you could share the links with me so that we put Perfect. them on the, the episode, just because I think you, you, I think the point that you made about the opportunities is a good one. However, I also do think, but, but you know, I'm a few years older than you, so maybe <laughs> in my world, but it, I, I do think maybe sometimes there's an issue about who gets access to that information or who is absolutely that information right absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about you know like you said you know you make these applications of like form five um form five and like so you sort of need to be preparing from all levels um mm -hmm. and i'm remembering that i 
didn't know about all of this. But again, I went to like a mission school, um, John Talek, uh, and then went to um, Evelyn for my A-levels. So maybe the information was there, but I didn't know. Um, so, so I think that's, that's an interesting thing for me that we can explore. And maybe at the very least, what we can do is just share that information. So, so like for, so for parents, so like you're saying with this program, it was, do you remember like roughly when uh, in your form five, in terms of like the year, like in terms of timelines, like was it sort of like beginning of the year when you had to start doing this process or like towards the end of the year? Um, I think it was towards the beginning of the year, around March, April, um, where you send in your application. Because like applying to US universities, especially if you haven't grown up in that system, it's a very long process. You have to take SATs, write essays. So it was at the beginning of the year, then, you know, they go through their own application cycles and they um, do the selections. And maybe by, I think, November or like around that time, they let you know. But of course, application timelines might have changed. Um, when I send you the links, I'll also send you um, the timelines. But also just to mention that there are USAP, you know, Star Academy, Macomborero, and all these other organizations doing this wonderful work are not the only pathway. You have um, the American Corner in Wulawa, Yomtare, and Harare. You have... Um, uh, the British Embassy sponsored hub. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, it's called British something. But those are really good pathways as well to find out about how can I apply to school in Britain? How can I apply to schools um, in the US? So um, it, it shouldn't just be limited to, you know, those um, sort of pathways. There's many other ways to explore. And definitely the issue about access. I think um, go, going to a private school, you have a lot of information you have people from um, universities overseas coming to your school to sort of recruit students you have open days career days university days where um, universities are coming and trying to recruit you so definitely access is a, is a, is a big factor um, when it comes to accessing um, information and opportunities um, in Zimbabwean schools. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I think if we share that information, that, that would be helpful. Um, and then sort of like, so when you started like with the USAP program, like how did you, did you want to go to Harvard? Or was it someone who was like, well, yeah, you should go to Harvard. Like, yeah, how did that come about? Um, Michigan University was one of them. And um, as we were speaking to like the counselors at the US Embassy and my manner as well, um, we sort of made this list and then I started working um, towards application to those universities that were um, on my list, yeah. Okay, okay. So, um, okay, that's, and then like, how did you find out? When did you find out that, okay, you had been successful? Um, so I applied to Harvard early decision. And I believe with early decision, your application has to be in by September. Whereas with regular decision, it can be in later in the, in the, in the year. Um, and I found out, I believe, was it November? I believe it was November when I found out. Um, I was so happy. I was, I was actually in Harare at the time, um, working on my other applications to the other schools. Um, and like, once you get in early decision, like that's the school you're going to, you know, like 
Um, I was so happy. Um, I was like, I was really like, whoa, like God has really come through for me. I was, I was just elated. Um, I was really especially happy to share it with my family. I think um, my education is just something they've all always been a part of, um, especially after fifth form, they've always attended like prize giving, um, sort of like I've been pushing me uh, forward. Um, and then when finances were down, like my, all my siblings were pitching in, um, sending me to debate competitions, sending me you know, like to travel around the country. Um, so it was like, it was a really nice win. It was like a culmination of everyone's hard work. Um, and it was also a load off because then I knew um, sort of like what was next and where the money for that was coming from. Um, yeah, so I now want to move to like actually going to, 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 to Harvard and sort mm -hmm. of like going to school, going to America, um, to sort of like paint the picture of what that journey was like, like, you know, like, yeah, go, going to, going to school, like where you picked up, uh, did you, did, you know, did you just get to Boston and make your way <laughs> to Harvard? <laughs> what was that like? Yeah. So what, what I expected to like, you know, I expected New York movie style America as soon as I land in the airport. Um, I, I left Zimbabwe with just about like a hundred dollars. Um, like times were tough then for us, like whew, we were going through a whole lot and then some. Um, so I didn't have a lot of money, but I was so excited that I was like ready to take on this new adventure. You know, my family saw me off at the airport. I didn't even have anyone to pick me up. Um, I just left. Um, but someone had told someone who lives in Boston to like, hey, there's some students who are coming. Can you pick them up from the airport? But I was like, you know what, I'll figure it out at the airport. And whilst on my flight to Boston, I met a Zimbabwean lady who I connected with and you know have stayed in touch with. And she was like, and I was like, yeah, I'm going, I have a hundred bucks. I'm going to take a taxi. And she was like, don't do that. Like taxis here are very expensive. I can, I can take you um, to Harvard and show you where it is. But luckily there was a guy there who was waiting for me. His name is Fidelis. Um, he was at MIT at that time. He was a student there and he's a Zimbabwean and had gone through that USAP program as well. So the USAP network really is just like, has come through for me in so many ways. Um, so he took me to Harvard, helped me in orientation. Um, I was doing like a preschool program there where you like you clean other people you clean the dormitories and then you get paid and I was so excited you know with like my hundred bucks I was like yeah I am I made it I had everything I needed like I had taken some books some toiletries so I was really excited so we went through that um that orientation program then we had like an international students orientation program which was like super helpful right because people who have been in your shoes are now taking you to like sign up for a bank account apply for your social security card um, just like navigate U.S. administrative issues and also just like settle in um, go around Boston um, and just meet other international students so I met a number of people there who I've remained friends with and I'm really grateful for that it's like a wonderful network of people doing amazing, um, amazing yeah and and so so what program did you study like what what degree was it bioengineering track which is like a combination of biomedical and mechanical engineering at least I took the mechanical engineering um track of that that track 
yeah I, I hope that makes sense like yes. if you want to be a bioengineer you essentially have to learn like some tissue engineering skills and then you can learn either electrical engineering skills or mechanical engineering skills so I chose um, the mechanical engineering track okay and and what 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 is that <laughs> for someone who doesn't know what, <laughs> you know yeah yeah so bioengineers do a, a number of different jobs they can work in uh, medical research pharmaceutical sort of like a range and I have chosen to work well at least I am interested in medical devices um, that's sort of like what I have stayed in um, I am interested in low-cost medical devices because we, we know the burdens on our healthcare systems um, we, there's just need for more point of care like at the bedside diagnostics because we don't really have electronic records to say, okay, you know, we'll send your sample to the lab. You know, everything is just electronic. You don't need to follow up. For us, it's like, if you're sick, you take your sample to the lab. You get the results from the lab and you take it to the doctor, right? To interpret. But I want to see a, a healthcare system where the doctor can administer the test right there right so you cut out the need to go to the lab um, and all that working around and they administer the tests um, whilst you are there at the doctor's um, practice and they let you know the results there so that's sort of like the type of work I am interested in and it's sort of known as point of care diagnostics and I'm interested in low cost point of care diagnostics. So like a lot of my work has been um, in that field. So working in microfluidics, um, like straight out of university, that's what I worked on. And then I worked in soft robotics. Um, and then now in Malawi sort of training students on how to build, how to prototype, how to make devices, what things you have to think about and also training um, biomedical engineers on how to use medical devices like this is an oxygen concentrated this is how you use it if it breaks down um this is how you repair it these are the things that are most likely to break down um yeah and this is how you repair everything so sort of like taking them through um all of these um devices that they use um in hospitals at the moment it's just um in the neonatal ward um so babies um so training them on how to use all the devices they can find in the neonatal ward is a, is a part of the work I do. Okay, okay. So, so I think let, let's jump to that because um, I think you, you talked a lot about the work that you're interested in um, and we'll, we'll, we'll go back to the, to, to the college university um, life. But um, yeah, so because you talked about the low, low cost devices you were talking about and I'm thinking, you know, I was about to say we're out of COVID. We're not out of COVID. You know, we're, we're still in COVID. So if you could talk a little bit about um, the work that you do now. So 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 currently, mm-hmm. you know, what is it that you do? Um, and just about, you know, I guess what's happening in Southern Africa and the opportunities in Southern Africa for STEM and, and the work that you're involved in. Yeah. 
Yeah, so currently I work with an organization called RISE360. It's based in the US um, in Houston um, at Rice University. Um, and I manage the design studios in Malawi. And essentially what the design studios are doing is implementing invention education in engineering faculty um, across um, universities in the world. But I work um, specifically with students um, and faculty in Malawi um, at the Malawi University of Business and Applied Sciences and also at the Malawi University of Science and Technology. And so I work with faculty to ask them sort of how can we incorporate invention education into the curriculum? Like where can we change the curriculum? Does the curriculum need to be redesigned? Where can we change your course to include active learning, right? And by active learning, I mean learning where the student is more actively involved, where there's discussion, where there's creation, where they're sharing with their peers as well. Um, and also then asking them, how can we change um, the student's experience of your course? Can we add uh, a practical element rather than all of it being theory um, to your course? So can we, how can we um, include like prototyping, designing, design thinking, you know, human-centered design in the courses that you're, you're teaching your students? We will have like students working on projects in the design studio, making stuff, you know, breaking down stuff and learning about, um, about different things. And then another thing is um, we train biomedical engineers on the use of, of the hospital equipment, as I mentioned before. So our goal is to ensure that every biomedical engineering coming out of these two, two in institutions knows how the equipment in the neonatal ward works. Um, we sort of do partnerships with um, clinicians, with sort of like clinical engineers as well. Um, and we just train our students to try and, you know, have that expertise, even if they're not going to go into um, the clinical field. I think it can translate to so much more of, their, of the work that they will do in the future. Okay. And, um... I remember sort of seeing you uh, post um, something sort of like a few months ago. It was work that you and your team had done um, with, I guess, as part of COVID response. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you could share a little bit about that. And also, I guess you're talking about um, integrating sort of like invention into learning. Um, and it, in my mind, in my lay person's mind I'm sort of thinking about the issues that we've had with COVID particularly in the region where we you know haven't had um yeah like we just haven't had the devices uh we haven't had certain things and then now obviously we're kind of moving into the whole sort of like vaccine world where um you know we don't have the patents and not just that we don't have the sort of like infrastructure um to sort of like um manufacture the the vaccines ourselves so yeah i'm um, so i'm interested so sorry it's my question is all over the place but the first part was <laughs> just with the work that you guys were doing like as part of covid response like what what that was and what the outcome you know of, of, of that was and then the second part is just more generally about the work that you're doing and sort of like covid response what it means for the region yeah mm -hmm. 
So COVID response in the design studios has been, I mean, people have put in a phenomenal amount of work. Um, we've managed to be producing PPEs for local hospitals, um, just local clinical facilities. Um, we, we, we started off just producing technologies that we thought we might need that we didn't have, um, like ventilators, you know, um, reusable face masks, because we, we knew that like we won't have access to N95 masks because of the global demand. Um, and just like issues around shipping once sort of airlines stopped flying and all of that. Um, so we sort of came together as the different design studio teams to ask ourselves questions around of what can we do, how fast can we do it, and how fast can we get approval, right? So when you make a medical device, you're definitely not going to test it um, on a person before you sort of get any data from the lab, right? First you have to test it in your lab, then you have to get sort of like um, approvals to test it on people. And that's a very long process. And I think for the devices that we have made, we are sort of at that process where we are trying to figure out how can we get approval um, now that we have it working, how can we have it tested so that we ensure that it's safe firstly, and also that it works as we have described it too. We've always formal education, but we have so much expertise in just like the community, people who weld, you know, people who, who, who use wood to make furniture, just like a variety of expertise that has just come in very useful for us um, in our COVID response. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I just wanted to ask again, the because the, I think that we, we, we missed a little bit where you were talking about um, that there isn't a lack of expertise, but there's a lack mm -hmm. of, um, if you could repeat that, um, yeah, just in case uh, people miss that point. Oh, I was saying there isn't a lack of expertise in African institutions. Um, there's just a lack of resources. Um, we have very limited resources and the priority sometimes is not in higher education, right? It's in healthcare, it's in um, the day-to-day, -day, you know? And I think universities, sort of like higher learning institutions can serve as hubs for community members, not just university students and faculty to invent um, because they know their problems best. They know the, the issues facing their communities best. And more, most of the time, communities already have some sort of solution in place that engineers can work on and refine. Um, I think as an engineer, one of the things that I've learned in my journey is that you're never really building from the bottom. You're always building upon someone else's ideas. So it'll be really good to see um, African government invest a little bit more in um, innovation. Um, I think it's still something that we're struggling with because we haven't really fully industrialized. Um, so it's really hard to jump from the need to industrialize and then sort of like jump on this fourth industrial revolution wagon that's talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning. We still just sort of need basic industry. Um, I think this pandemic was sort of evidence of just how much we need. Um, we import all of our PPE, right, from other countries. Um, and we've learned like how detrimental that is um, once the world shuts, shuts down. So there's sort of a need for us to to sort of get our industry started, get our industry um, going. And that really can start 
um, in these universities, in university hubs that are sort of um, familiar with using innovation to solve um, local community challenges. Mm. So your design studio, like in Malawi right now, do you work sort of like collaboratively with other uh, universities across the region, Southern Africa, or across the continent, really? Is there that sort of like joint working? Because it, it kind of feels like that's at the very least, if there's no money being poured in, that's a good starting point to kind of join up. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. We work with a number of design studios um, that are also, you know, sponsored by Rice360 in Tanzania, in Nigeria. Um, and in fact, I think a good case study of wonderful collaboration was the work that the, the design studio in Tanzania did. They created a UV disinfection system. Um, and that's really useful for disinfecting N95 masks so that doctors or clinicians can reuse them, right? Because you want to be able to reuse them at least up to three times. Um, and, and before there weren't these disinfection um, systems. So they were either throwing, throwing them away after a single use or they were, you know, like disinfecting them um, on their own like prerogative, which is not really something you want to advise. So they developed this um, disinfection system um, and then they pass it on to us to say, hey, here's some documentation. This is what we've made. Um, if you guys would like to implement a local hospital there, please go ahead. And we took that on implement here um, and you know, like make adaptations according to our own needs. So I think that's a very good case study of some like really useful and great um, collaborative work between countries. This is really, really interesting. So what what do you so we've talked about the networking and we talked about the resource. Um, I guess which countries in, I'll say the continent, right? Um, mm -hmm. Do you think are sort of ahead of the curve, you know, when it comes to, yeah, to this world? Definitely South Africa. I think South Africa is um, one of the countries that is quite well industrialized and they have, they have justification for looking towards um, what the fourth industrial revolution means for them and how they can use technology um, better in their industries, definitely South Africa. But I think there's an opportunity here for all these countries, especially in Southern Africa, to learn from what South Africa has done. We already have a collaborative network, right? We have SADAC. Um, and each of these countries can't really afford to finance um, innovation on their own. So how about like a joint venture between all these countries? A lot of our systems are sort of inherited from you know, Portuguese and British colonial systems. So they are very similar, right? So we have that working um, for us in that we know that our, our systems of operation, um, the administrative systems are very similar. So why not build sort of like um, similar uh, one pipeline that each country can adopt um, that can inform how innovation happens in a country, how that innovation is taken up, sort of like testing procedures, how you develop standards to ensure that people are innovating um, devices or you know processes that are up to standard and that work well for that country. I think that's a really good point that you make about SADC and the role that they could play um, in terms of, you know, they're, they're 
being able to leverage and bring the different countries to the table. Okay, so yeah. um, in terms of the work that you've done so far, what is the most exciting thing that your studio has sort of come up with that you're like, this is so exciting. This is, I haven't seen this before. Um, yeah, anything that your students have come up with or that you've come up with? Um, I think our students, I want to say maybe our drone technology work um, is something that really excites me because it's, it's not a new technology, right? But we are able to manufacture every single part of a drone in our design studio now. Um, we can put it together. And that I think has impl implications of how Malawi can then start to use drones or like unmanned um, technologies and like agriculture um, for their own use. So that's something that's specifically um, exciting for me. But I think on a personal level, what's really exciting for me are the internship programs that we run. Um, we sort of bring together 20 students um, at a time and they sort of undergo an internship. So the focus, our just ended internship was a biomedical internship. So the students get to speak to clinicians, they project scoping, finding, engineers, speak to all these different types of stakeholders that are involved in the making of a medical device. Right, and they produce um, that medical device. We just recently ended our internship, and one of the devices the students made was a pulse oximeter. Um, and they spoke to like nurses, doctors, they spoke to like industry here in Malawi, business here, sort of like their engineering faculty as well. So for me, it's that like, it's a wholesome experience. They get to experience every aspect of engineering. They're not just stuck in the lab because, you know, like inventing in the lab is sometimes can cause problems because you're only surrounded by engineers, right? And engineers have a deeper understanding of how technology works. And then you over-engineer things, right? And instead of having one button, you now have like five screens. But the person who's going to use this doesn't have that engineering expertise or the person who's going to manufacture this doesn't, um, have that manufacturing expertise we're always i'm always telling students run away from 3d printing because at the moment it's expensive right but that's that's insight i have also learned from people who are in um in industry so to have students experience like engineering completely from planning to implementation is just something i am really excited about and something that engineering education should really um, be because a lot of engineering education in a lot of our institutions, especially now during COVID, it's just theory. Like people can tell you how to, this is how you build like a motor, but people can't actually build it because they haven't really had that um, lab expertise. People can tell you this is a type of microscope you use to look at these type of cells, but they've never really touched that microscope. You know, they've never done the adjustments, change, change lenses on that microscope. So the practical experience is absolutely everything. 
No, that's that 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 that's interesting. So I'm sort of thinking if someone is watching this and they're thinking, oh, I'm in this world as well. I would like to collaborate with Will or a parent is thinking, ah, I want my child to get involved <laughs> in this. Like, how can I speak to Will? Are you happy for people to get in touch with you or um, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm very happy to talk with people. Um, you can find me on Twitter um, as at Will Desiree Moyo. Um, I'm always happy to start the conversation there and see where it goes. Um, uh, but I think especially for, for, for parents, um, innovation doesn't have to be something expensive. Um, I don't know if you grew up, is what does like? we used to make them all the time, you know, we'd make different types. And so that was something that was reserved for the boys actually, but you know, uh, my family dynamics were, were slightly different. Like we would just be making things all the time. Um, if anything broke, broke down at home, like a radio or something, you know, my parents would let us open it. Like if they, after they determined they couldn't fix it, um, just open it and be like, oh, so this is how, you know, you get sound. This is what's inside. Like just allow, you know, your children to play around with things um, just like using, you know, Play-Doh. Um, it doesn't have to start expensive, start small, um, just sort of like, and then build up using Legos, you know, like just simple is always like, simple is just perfect mm, that's good that's good that's good no this is this is so fascinating um and um i guess sort of like a, just another question on this like when we talk about sort of like stem right mm -hmm. um and i know in zim at some point uh, i forget i think it was jonathan moy or someone who will sort of oh. like <laughs> Zimbabwe, because we're both from Zim, like in, in mm -hmm. that same world. And um, so, A, you know, did, did that work, that sort of like pushing of STEM um, at, mm -hmm. you know, at some point? And yeah, I guess, B, sort of what are the opportunities, particularly in Zim? Now, at STEM in Zim, um, people are doing amazing work. Um, but I think it's amazing work in spite of all the challenges that they, fa they face. And really good, I think a good, for you to do STEM, you need a really good foundation um, in the basics. So your basic math, your basic reading and writing skills, your basic presentation skills. Um, and that's where Zimbabwe, I think, loses it. They want to start with grand ideas, right? They want to be like the fourth industrial revolution. We are adopting X, Y, Z. We're adopting artificial intelligence. They can't, like, for the most part, a lot of the people pushing those policies can't even tell you what artificial intelligence is and what resources you need to, to, um, to implement it. We need to start, go back to the basics. What artificial intelligence are you implementing when you don't have classrooms? Like, how is that person, like, learning that artificial, artificial intelligence? There's no internet access. Like, internet is ridiculously expensive. Like, how are they then learning those skills? Our teachers are poorly paid. Like, if you miss a good grade one, grade two foundation, you know, like ECD foundation, you, like it's going to be very, you are going to have to work very hard to catch up, right? And also like the attitude towards um, women in STEM, um, just like women excelling, um, just like academically as well. It's always like, 
great they are doing it, but I don't think there is enough support for um, women to sort of like be in these industries that are usually um, male dominated. Um, so I think we really have to get the fundamentals right. Let's get cl classrooms, schools in all the districts, you know, grade one through seven, form one to form six. Um, no one should be walking more than two kilometers to school. Like, you know, like we just need greater access to education. Our syllabus itself, you know, um, it has to, um, foster and encourage um, innovation, which means we need training of teachers, right? And which also translates to, we need our teachers to be better paid. Um, a, a poorly paid um, employee is doing bare minimum. Um, and I think a lot of where STEM is involved, you really have to go above and beyond because it's a lot of troubleshooting, a lot of learning. Um, so I think we just need to start from ground zero, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I think that that that's a good point that you make that we can't be talking about um, send, you know, space programs um, and the like when, you know, as you say, some of the foundational stuff is not intact. Yeah, no, I think that 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 that's very and I think that that's that cuts across the board right in terms of just different issues that affect them. It's just mm -hmm. the foundation as well. So. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge um, and just telling us a little bit more about the work that you do, which sounds really exciting, sounds, you know, above what my brain can. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I, I mean, I couldn't imagine doing some of the, the things that you're talking about. And like, I'm really excited to see more of what you do and you know I always tell you that I'm like you know I see you doing big things <laughs> and um yeah like across the region um I did want to sort of like go back a little bit to um to 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 the university bit because I know some people are still like stuck at that point they're like how did you just gloss over Harvard <laughs> you just <laughs> like how did you just gloss over Harvard <laughs> we talked about you know you getting there you studying but I just kind of wanted to um just kind of get a better picture of like just what it was like so I'm just thinking you know, it's such a prestigious school, which probably have, has, you know, people from all walks of life, um, people from the most privileged walks of life, you know, coming to Harvard. Um, and just what was that like? Like, okay, what, what are the dorms like, for example? Like, how does it work? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Um, so, we all live in a place, well, most of the first year students live in a place called The Yard. Um, and The Yard is like different houses. And I was in a, in a house called um, Hallworthy. Um, and I shared, I was in a suite with four other ladies and I was sharing a bedroom with um, one lady who is like a really good friend um, now. Um, and it was like, you know, being Will, I've grown up with many siblings, you know, cousins, it was a great, so it wasn't really, um, I move away from anything I knew in terms of like sharing a room, sharing like a suite. Um, but we you know we we just all went about our our business and sort of like first year was for me. Um, I you know like 
I did well in school. I was just, I knew what I was there for. You know, like you, you have that talk with your parents before you leave, where my mom was like, Come, go to Hambelen, you know. Harvard. Um, but it was disorienting because there is so much wealth. Um, and just like a lot of sadness because you are doing it alone, whereas other students are doing it with their parents. Um, their parents know the American, you know, university system. You know, before you get there, other students, like on the first day, are saying, I'm going to meet Professor So and So for an internship at their lab. And I think that's one thing I found about um, Harvard students, and maybe perhaps why I fit in so well, is that they are driven. Like they are doing internships, they are forming companies, they are leading clubs. And you are just there, you know, day one, you're like, wow, I made it here. And you're just happy to be there, right? But other people are already saying, yeah, I have an internship with this professor to study X, Y, Z. And so like you're, you're sort of playing catch up. When I got there, I didn't have a laptop. So like I was just always in the computer lab, you know, like some students already had their laptops. Um, I was just used to writing in my textbooks, you know, I'm a counter book. Yeah, other students are like typing. And I was like, how on earth are these people typing so fast? So it was a lot of catching up. And also um, a lot of the students there have taken advanced courses. Some of them have actually been to Harvard to take like Harvard courses, right? Like as high schoolers, um, which is like one of the programs they run. But you are just there with your A-level math. You're like, you know, go A-level math. I am the bomb. And someone is already telling you about, you know, like, some advanced myth concept. And you're like, I have never heard of that in my life. So it was a lot of playing catch up. And for me, what that meant is the engineering, um, during my time at least, the engineering, the engineering sciences um, course load was, um, you have the choice for Bachelor of Science or Bachelor of Arts. And, and I wanted a Bachelor of Science, which was 20, I think 23 courses. Um, and then the Bachelor of Arts is like 15 courses. And then, um, yeah, all the other Bachelor of Arts programs are, are 15 courses. Uh, but they're counting 21 courses from people who already have advanced math um, skills. So, I mean, I had like um, free tutoring, you know, like, but as one, I don't know, as me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly extroverted. Um, it's very hard to ask how, like, you know, I have this attitude, but I'm just grateful to be here. Since I figured you know, so I had that mentality, but eventually, you know, I was like, I am struggling. Help me. Um, and so like you just meet people as well. I remember I met this guy called Andrew Berry. He is a lecturer there and he's British. So he knows the Zimbabwean system, like he knows the A-level system. So I was like, oh, if you want to get to this level, take these courses. Like, and there's usually like five options for the same course, right? So he was very helpful. Like, I feel like just like one of those people I have to go back and say thank you to. He also helped me get my first internship. He was like, what are you interested in? And I was like, maybe dogs. 
and it was like okay we, we don't really do research on dogs um, but maybe go speak to this lab that works with rats so I learned how to handle rats you know like doing research with rats um, doing like surgery injecting stuff like that and so the normal course load is like three to four classes a semester I was taking five to six classes a semester I was also working um, I was working 20 hours a week, which is the maximum international students are allowed to work. Um, I, I started working, um, sort of cleaning other students' toilets, bathrooms, and that, you know, that also has like its own effect on your psyche, right? When you start noticing, with your, like, because you have access to people's dorm rooms, and you're like, yo, my dorm room is just my bed and my blanket, my table. These people have like, 50 inch tv screens they have like video games you know like about pac-man that we used to play at like um like those video game centers are cool someone just has it in their room like they just have like they have luxury they have queen size beds they they just have like all these setups in their rooms and when I are just there and like you're, now you're cleaning their bathroom, it just set up, it sets up this whole different dynamic. So eventually I moved up to be like the leader or the captain of those people who clean bathrooms. But then, you know, um, that's so like I was getting paid more money, which was like so much fun. Like, and you form a community with, you know, the people who are poorer, like, um, and you're just like on the, it, a lot of it, a lot of my experience at Harvard felt like I was on the outside looking in. Um, but even then it, it was, it was wonderful. Um, not, I can just go on and on about my experience. So um, just tell me to stop when you want to. So eventually I left that job. Um, but the fun thing about that job too, is that we were the commencement workers, right? So when graduation came along, we were the one organizing um, like various aspects of graduation were in these teams that were responsible. So you got to also see how the institution works from like the, from the organization perspective, you get to meet all these people who are in charge. Um, and I think that, that I can sum up my, my Harvard experience as being I didn't make a lot of friends um, my age. I made so many friends and connections with um, people in the system. So like your professors, your people who are running the universities. And that has been super helpful for me in getting like other opportunities, applying for jobs um, and just having like, you know, all the people to bounce off ideas off of. And also like when you need money, like these are very wealthy people being like, hey, I'm stuck, <laughs> I'm poor. <laughs> help <laughs> and if I also found that in university <laughs> that worked for me Nat. like people people buy your story like people want to feel good about helping people right so people are like nah here's the African where's Zimbabwean let's buy her books <laughs> let's just do all these stuff for, for her but eventually I think I left that job um, then I moved on to being like an usher at the school theater where they host concerts like with really important people. So imagine you get to meet all these people who are important um, backstage. So like, you know, um, you get to meet the university uh, president because that's where she used to do some of her, her addresses, you know, and she'd come backstage, you know. So like, you, you, like you're sort of like in the university, so, but you're also outside of it. I don't even know how to explain it in a way that, that makes sense. Then I, I, so I was working that job and also working at the library as well. And eventually I was moved up to like student supervisor at the library. Um, so it was just like working a lot. Um, and I was also doing like babysitting for one of, um, 
one of the people at the university and I was babysitting their kids. So I would wake up like 5 a.m. by 5.30, I'm at their house getting their kids ready for school. Um, and then by like seven, drop them off at school or something like that. So it was, I didn't really have a lot of time to like, yay, no, I'm happy. Let's, you know, let's socialize. Let's go to a lot, like the school hosts a lot of social events, like a lot of parties, like every week there's like four or five events um, that you can go to. I didn't get to experience a lot of that because I was working so much. And on top of that, I was taking such a heavy course load. Um, So I, I, I always felt like I was in school, but not really. Um, but like I, I was also working at a lab, right? To like get like internship credit because it looks good on your CV. That's every like everything at Harvard is all that's what it will look great on your CV. Like do this, it will look. I'm just like, uh, but you know, you join the system, <laughs> you do what you have to do. So I was also so I was working my babysitting. A job. I was working as an usher at the theater. I was a librarian at the li- at the library. All I had to do was like put books away, and then I'd spend the rest of my shift studying. So that was a nice job for me. Um, and then I was working um, at the lab, right? Um, I moved around a couple of labs to learn different things. But like lab work is intense; it takes time. Um, so I didn't really have a lot of time on my hands. So the people I made friends with were like the people I was in the lab with, who were usually like the postdocs or the professors. Um, like I feel like those like have just been me such valuable connections for me. Um, If I could do it differently, I would definitely go back and learn to ask for money because they have money. Like you, all you have to do as a a student is be like, yo, I'm poor y'all, I need money. But I think um, a part of it for me was just like the fear of saying, these people have already given me a full scholarship. I can't really be, you know, be burdening them with so much, but there is, there is so much money in the institution. Um, and a lot of it also is that it's money for Americans, it's not money for international students. So, so there are some things I was applying for before I knew the system, right? And I'd always get rejections like, no, you can't apply for this because you're not an American. And that wears down on your soul. But if I had been applying for the right things, right, I would have just like had just a lot of money. Um, but you know, you you learn, you pass on that wisdom that you learn to the incoming international students. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that that's really what it's all about, just making sure that the next person has it um, better than you do. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that, because one of the things that I wanted to sort of touch on was just the experience of being in a place with so much wealth, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people you know, watching, listening, p- people who studied abroad know the pains of being an international student, you know, mm-hmm. but then being an international student in a rich institution, right? Um, and, and, you know, like you said, you had the full scholarship, but then, okay, that's fine. But then there's still sort of like books, there's still living costs that you actually sort of have. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess my question was just, yeah, and I think you've answered it that it's about knowing who to ask, but it sort of feels yep. like there's something there which, you know, yes, you're given the opportunity, but to immerse yourself fully in the opportunity, you have to have the full bandwidth not to worry about living this, not to worry yeah. about these things. Um, yep. So I don't know. So do, do you 
in hindsight do you do you really think okay maybe I should have known what to apply for or I should have been a bit bolder or is there a little bit more that some of these institutions can do to really support people just coming from different lived experiences oh absolutely it's I, I think a lot of my experience was in like shortcomings from the institution um they really like and that's why I struggle with this now because they've done so much like like Harvard costs about 65,000 a year, 75, somewhere there. And they paid for all of that for me, right? But then the other thing is that America taxes scholarships, right? So even though it's a full scholarship, you have to pay that difference that has been taxed. And like 2,000, 4,000 US dollars, it's a lot of money, like, you know? Um, so what you do is you take out a student loan, right? A private student loan. So that's also like, who another conversation that about like just being poor in these institutions. If I'm leaving this institution with about 20,000 US dollars in debt, um, I don't really have the, my only gateway to life is getting a job, right? And your entry level jobs don't pay that much, especially in STEM, in, in STEM research, like, um, and especially in academic STEM research, maybe in the industry, it's a different story. Uh, but um, academic STEM research is sort of like a path that you take if you know that, you know what, I want to go into a grad school, grad school program, right? So I might as well just work in this, in this, in this academic, academic research, so that I can get the letters of recommendations from these professors who know one another, right? So if, if I recommend someone to you, Nat, you know, ah, you know, Will won't recommend someone dodgy. So it's the same thing, right? Or the other thing is just like that professor can also admit you into their grad, graduate school program. So you have to take this essentially low paying um, entry-level job, then you have to figure out rent, right? You've just graduated, you have to figure out rent, and it's not just rent, it's you have to do, you pay your first and your last deposit, and the rent for the month, right? And then you also have to figure out, you're moving into a new place, right? You need pots, you need pans, and then there's the student loan that you have to pay back, right? It's just, it's just a lot. And then within the institution as well, um, Every, Dece every December, like school ends, right? Between December and January and opens up towards the end of, of, of January. Everyone is going home. It's just you. It is, it's just you and other international students and you don't necessarily live in the same dorms, right? You have to figure out your own groceries, right? They, in my third year, they started giving you like a small amount to buy groceries, but that was because of student activism. But first year, second year, I had to figure it out on my own. Um, and that was saving money from the job I was working, right? And it's essentially two months of you just like living on noodles and bread and like whatever is cheap um, from the dollar store. So it's definitely institution, um, the problems with the institution. And because a lot of the people in financial aid are, are people who are also coming from privilege, right? So there's there's no one to advocate for you to say, hey, ask us Kumbulava, you know, Abbas Velele Zimbabwe. Like, what are they doing for the holidays, right? Even like Thanksgiving, I was really like blessed that I have a wonderful host family, man. Just like they are, they have just everything. My host family, um, 
um, my, who are now like my wonderful friends, Shelby, went to Harvard as well, right? So that you, there's this host family program at Harvard where they introduce you to people who've gone to Harvard. They introduce international students or, or students who are from um, outside of Boston, also outside of the East Coast. Um, and just my, my, my host family came through for me, like helping me to be a little bit more confident, asking for what I want, also asking like, and this is not right, Will. Maybe ask the institution about X, Y, Z. What about trying this? But for some students, like they come in with that knowledge already, right? And it also takes time to build relationship with your host family. And you also don't want to feel like you're a burden. But yeah, it's just it's just a lot of um of, a lot of issues. I'm also saying like some of the things are just like social issues. Like people are saying, we have spring break. Oh, you know, we're going to the Hamptons. Let's go. Like, Logoti Hamptons, it can Wenziwani. And then you hear people saying, okay, we'll split the cost. It's like 4,000 US dollars each. You know, like, your minds are not at the same place. Like, your experiences are so different. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe $200, you know, I would have sacrificed. I can, I can, I can do something. But people are just talking about like, oh, okay, fine. To cut down on costs, we can go. My, my family has a vacation home in Miami, Florida. We can use that. We can stay there. Uh, but I'm just like, even the flight to get there. And then you, you sort of, you know, people are wonderful, right? Um, people start to pay for things for you because they realize we want to go to eat out with Will, um, but Will can't afford it. So I'll pay for it, right? But then it also creates the system where you always have to be grateful um, for people for coming through for you. And I don't, it's not a healthy system to live in because it sort of, it changes the dynamics of friendships and relationships and yeah. But, you know, um, I, I have like all these critics about the institution, but I always say to people, if you can, if you get in, go. Like, there are so many people who are doing, who have been doing um, activism to ensure that people who um, come from low income households are better supported um, and just always ask for help. Um, I think put aside the, the humility, you know, African, like this is something I found across the board with my African friends as well. We're always so afraid to ask for more. We're just happy with what we have, but ask for more, like advocate for yourself, um, ask the people who've come before you how they've done it and um, just go back, just go to the institution, you know, like just the fact that you have, you know, Harvard on your CV, people like jobs and just like other opportunities look at you differently, which is unfair, um, but it's just how the world, the world works. Um, so it will definitely open doors for you. Um, I definitely encourage people to apply and go to these um, Ivy League and other prestigious institutions. Definitely, definitely. No, thank, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. And which kind of, so you've touched on what I was going to ask next, next which is about, um, I guess, the doors that just saying I went to Harvard have have opened, right? Because you say that, you know, in terms of, because just a, a bit of an aside, because I was having a conversation with my little cousin about going to university and she was like, oh, she's not sure. And I was saying to her, well, you know, I think one of the good things about going to university is the networks that you create, um, mm -hmm. which become networks for life and also, university is just a place where you go to sharpen your mind you know mm -hmm. and, and it, it challenges you and I was saying to her that 
it also needs to be the right university, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess my, my, my question is, you know, on reflection, because you say that you've made connections like with probably people who were like your teachers, professors and the like, uh, not so much your peer group, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. But what, yeah, like what doors has 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 that opened just because i i feel you know in the world that we live we live in as you say if you have harvard on your cv like what <laughs> you know it just yeah. so what what is that like um i think i have noticed that i generally don't have a hard time finding work um i get a lot of like recruitment emails um and like hey were, were willing to recruit you it's just that um I was really focused on the path of like academia, doing research, changing the world um, and not necessarily making money. But I think um, um, like finding a job hasn't been something that's been super difficult for me. Um, And also just like, I think perhaps we are taught indirectly how to be assertive, like, and just like, to present, I think maybe it's an American thing as well. They are very assertive. They present themselves in a certain way. Um, and as you also gain those skills, right? Like job interviews become a breeze. Like you, it's not something that you really stress, right? You get trained on job interviews. Like literally someone will come in, ask you interviews. They will take a video in a room from all angles, right? And then they'll tell you, will you tap your feet too much? Will you, when you're nervous, you do this, don't do that. Like you smile too much, you do this. So it's like that training of like, it's given me confidence on like just how I I, I conduct myself at job interviews. I don't really go into job interviews with the idea of um, I'm interviewing for the job. I'm really going into job interviews with, let me see what these people have to offer me, right? Um, and I think that's that's something that has really like changed my life ever since I decided like, you know what, let me try and make some money and leave this research thing alone for a bit, yeah. Um, and just like the network, right? I can tell one of my professors I'm looking for a job in X, Y, Z. People will create a, a, a position for you um, just because this person has recommended you, right? Um, and then that person owes them a favor eventually, right? So it's like, just like those those networks and being recommended by people whose names um, mean a lot in their industry has just like opened some really amazing doors for me. I um, I was actually like, I'm in calls now. Like, I'm just like, who am I even in this call? I was in a call yesterday with... Um, the African Consortium of Biomedical Engineers from like, um, and it's, a, it's an organization sponsored by UNESCO. And it's, 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 I met them through like a professor of mine. And all these people have like PhDs and like, you know, like they are like real people. And I'm just there and they're asking me, Will, what do you think, right? And that's like a connection I got through like a Harvard network. I get to sit in on like committees or like I get consultancies from just like having known these people. And it just, it just like opens like uh, wonderful doors. Even when I was like job searching, um, before my job, right. I was like, if I don't find a job, I'm going to tutor. Right. Um, I'll teach people like math and like the number of clients have had to sort of like open the door for, for those other people who, who have so much more to offer and contribute um, to the world. 
No, that's 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 really good. And you are a real person. <laughs> you know, you talk about the call. <laughs> you are a real person. And I think it's it's interesting because I think um it it in my mind, right? It it kind of feels like the the Harvard experience is one that you keep tapping into like for life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even like, you know, Nat, I, I say I haven't built um networks with a lot of my peers, but as soon as I post like in the alumni group or send an email to the alumni association, like, hey, I'm looking for opportunities in XYZ, people I don't know, people who gra- who I never met who graduated in the 90s will reach out to me and be and offer advice. Um, offer like opportunities like just because we're in the same alumni um, network so and I, I've also noticed that like I'll send things from my regular gmail um, email to people and people will not respond but as soon as I send it from my alumni email address people will respond like they'll even ask how much do you want to be paid even if it was something I was willing to do for free um, so yeah I, I've learned to sort of like you know what Let's 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 tap into this. You know, like you work hard for it. Um, tap into it. Use it as a resource for yourself, and also I use it as a resource for to get to try and um, secure some internships um, for some of my students as well. That is great. That is great. And I have a story about your Harvard email. Uh, I don't know if you know <laughs> <laughs> what happened. <laughs> I'll, I'll share it. Um, so I, cause I applied for a program at the school of international service, which is, uh, American mm. University in Washington. So Will <laughs> kind of, you know, um, as Will does was like helping me with it. And then she wrote a reference. You wrote a reference for me with your Harvard email. Um, and I, I, I submitted the application. I, no lie within 72 hours, they're like accepted. <laughs> oh that (laughs) that's your brilliance that is definitely your brilliance but yeah like just yeah you 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 start to realize that just like the world the world works in a certain way um it's unfortunate but if you have the privilege of you know tapping into some of those networks tap them use them and use them to benefit other people as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think the next step for me is looking for the funding. So maybe, <laughs> you and maybe that Harvard email may unlock this thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> Absolutely not. Anytime. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. No, that's amazing. That's amazing. So we talked about you know school um and then harvard i still have like more questions because i was because i feel like you're so humble about it (laughs) (laughs) and and i'm like oh my god did you meet mark zuckerberg did he come (laughs) um is mark zuckerberg in like your alumni network i have no honestly i have never seen him in the alumni network but i'm you know like you know you know someone knows someone who knows someone (laughs) so i'm sure yeah you've seen some like really like prominent names in your alumni list oh absolutely yeah yeah and you know like when you email them you're like you have to come correct dear whoever sincerely and then they just reply you of course let's jump on a call sent from my iphone and you're just like do you know how many months i spent drafting this email yeah it's it's yeah it's it's really it's it's really amazing i think one of the things i've learned from the alumni network especially for people who come from low-income households is get paid for your work 
um I, I you know I love to do free things like I really don't mind if it takes me five ten minutes but they're always like yeah always have your rate card ready you know like there's these seminars to prepare you like even post-graduation um to prepare you for like getting paid like get paid like you deserve to get paid so it's, it's just yeah it's it's a very interesting network of people yeah yeah, no, and I'm going to be pushing you to like make the most of this network. <laughs> you know, make the most of this network. Just think about yeah. it as like compensation for, you know, the living expenses <laughs> for yourself. Um, yeah. But, but, but yeah, but, but, but Will, what, what do you do in your downtime? You know, I feel like you're such a person that pours into people. Um, you're doing all this great, great work. And honestly, the way you talk about the work, I just see, you know, you're doing big things across the world, right? Um, I definitely would love to see you uh, like having a thing that you do that's like across the deck, you know, and, and, and I, I have no doubt, I have no uh, doubt whatsoever that you can do it, right? So you're doing all of this, you know, you're a great sister, but then how do you pull back into yourself, you know? How do you recharge and how do you make sure your cup is full? Mm. I, um, I read a lot. Like I will read anything. Um, I sometimes you know I just go into my Kindle app and just um, you know sort by price low to high, <laughs> buy whatever is on special that week and just read it. You know, like I'm not really um, particular about what I read. I just read to like experience um, different things. Um, I'm on Twitter a lot. I'm trying to leave Twitter. <laughs> But I've also like built like wonderful networks on Twitter, right? Like I'm on Twitter a lot. Um, I think it's a really good place to learn from other people, um, to also get like the first step in your reading to learn about something else can just be from a, a Twitter thread. Um, also to share experiences um, with other people on Twitter. I think I'm very open about my life, uh, my experiences. Um, yeah, I think just like having a community of, um, of, of friends is, is, is very nice for me on, on social media. Um, I am very introverted. So I spend a lot of time um, at home. Like my downtime is usually, is usually spent alone. Um, I like Zimbabwean politics. I am all, I stress myself with Zimbabwean politics. I'm always reading something about Zimbabwe, um, talking to people in that political space. Um, yeah, and I think most of, I think what, what's most important to me is family. Um, I'm just always catching up with someone in my family, like my younger brothers, my mother, my sisters, um, yeah, cousins, you know, like that just, like that for me is just like one of the most fulfilling roles um, in my life to know that there are people who hold a special space in their lives for me, um, who care deeply, um, you know, who will always be pouring in, who have no choice <laughs> but to do it. <laughs> so yeah, um, I'm always just like, you know, like reading, um, I write, oh yeah, check out my medium. I write like, short stories on random topics um yeah um uh, like like it's not even like it's fiction yeah I, I i love to like sort of like describe things and like sort of like sometimes put my feelings into words um i think i have lived all of my adulthood now outside of home so 
uh, writing is sort of a good way for me to like be by myself but be doing something um I like to bake yay I bake so much I bake for my neighbors <laughs> I'm sure they're even like because you know like I, I I just live alone so I can't like eat everything I bake <laughs> so I'm sure like they're also tired like this girl <laughs> um so yeah, I really love to bake, try new recipes. Yeah, I think yeah, that's like like downtown will. Um, I I I I am a little sensitive to sound, so I'm not a music or a big TV person. Um, so like doing things with my hands, I crochet. I'm terrible at crocheting. Like or like you know like i'll be crocheting um a square circle and i'm just like so i try to like try new things as well um yeah once in a while but i'm i'm a i'm a homebody like i can spend the whole week in my house um but unfortunately i have one of those jobs where you know you have to go to work um so yeah, that's me in my downtime. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. What is the, um, what's the kindest thing someone has done recently for you? Hmm. Recently. Mm-hmm. Can be a small thing. Try to think. Um. My birthday was recent. Um, yeah, so I feel like just what like me on the 19th of June. Yeah, I just feel like there was so much love. No, no, you sent me a gift, actually. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, like, I really feel special. Uh, but I am a person who needs those affirmations and who likes to feel special. So my birthday was sort of like the height of me feeling special this year and just like a reminder of how much I mean to people's lives because I, I can, you know, I can do stuff. Like I, I, I'm always doing something, but I, I, it's very easy for me to forget that I'm doing stuff. So people remind me. So that was, that was really, really special for me. Yeah. That is good. That is good. And I think we'll, we'll end on this note. Um, Perfect. I wanted to, 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 to sort of say, uh, I'm glad that your birthday was a day that you felt um, special. Um, but the reason I was asking was the kindest thing that someone has done recently is because you are such a kind person, you know. Oh, um, thanks, Nat. <laughs> I want to affirm you. <laughs> I think I speak for Goli as well. Um, just saying that you are such a brilliant person and I'm pretty sure there's people that are listening who know you, who will attest to this as well. You are so kind. You are such a light. Um, everything about you is quite positive. Will is that person that will be like, yay, like you'll post like a picture. You look funny. We'll be like, you look gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> But, 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 but you are you're one of those people who you just approach everything with light right with positive mm -hmm. truly positive vibes you're truly kind um you truly go out of your way and i know like i have the number of things that i have asked will a lot of articles that i've put out of like 
well, can you please have a look? And Will will be like, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fine. And then like she'll proofread stuff. But this is someone who has a design studio, who is building robots and <laughs> doing all this stuff. And she takes her mind. And I know it's not just me. It is a number of people that you do that for. You're quite humble. Um, and I just wanted to celebrate you on this podcast to sort of say oh. on record <laughs> in 4K um, that you're such an amazing, amazing person. And I truly hope that the kindness that you give out so freely uh, and so generously that you get back, um, you know, in many different ways, whatever your heart's desire is and will is just such a phenomenal phenomenal person and i will just encourage all of you guys to make sure that you follow will that don't overwhelm her with dms because will yeah. she'll respond to you and <laughs> expand her energy so you know just, just don't overwhelm her with, with, with the dms but um i'm excited for the future I am excited for Thank you. Um, what you'll be doing next. Um, I will definitely be supporting. Um, and I think what we'll do is we'll share the information that you talked about in terms of the different opportunities that were available to you in Zim. And we'll see if we kind of get um, comments from that. And maybe we may do like a question answer sort of thing, maybe if people sort of have specific uh questions um thinking about 2022 but no will like i love you absolutely like you are one of my favorite people and thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for taking the time to be here thank you so much nat thank you Polly. i i love girl and skies y'all i love it love it so much um and i wish you guys well all the best um and i love to to see you as you continue to grow yeah thank you thank you so much will this has been amazing thank you and take care guys <laughs> <Bye. laughs>